Hi there, and welcome to Emmanuel. This is our weekly teaching podcast. We hope that it encourages you to live a little bit more every day like Jesus taught us to. God bless you. Before I read our passage of scripture this morning, I have to admit that I'm on some thin ice and a few uh, points actually. I'm going to be talking about wine in a Baptist church. And I came, yeah, I came from a day when, uh, boy, we even found it hard to preach about God turning water into wine. So I'm sensitive because I know some of you really enjoy a glass of wine, others will not touch it. So I'm sensitive to that topic this morning. We're going to bring in a mature dog and a little puppy. So that's coming shortly. Please, as you leave here today, do not go with the opinion that Pastor Thelma is calling any of you old dogs. We're not going there either. But I am talking a lot about change, and change is not popular. We're talking about real change, transformational change. There was a a man who went to his doctor, and his doctor told him to give up red meat. So he stopped putting ketchup on his hamburgers. (laughs) A little bit different this morning as we talk about change. And by the time I get to this wooden podium, I'm probably going to have a hook around my waist that's pulling me right off the platform. But we're going to see what the Holy Spirit wants to do with this this morning. So our passage of scripture is out of Luke's Gospel. It's from chapter 5, verses 33 to 39. I'm using the New Living Translation. It'll be on the screen, and it's on page 728, if you happen to want to uh, follow along in the Bible in your pews. Verse 33, One day some people said to Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly. So do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are your disciples always eating and drinking? Jesus responded, Do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. And then Jesus gave them this illustration, and that's what we're going to be talking most about this morning. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and uses it to patch an old garment. For then the new garment would be ruined, and the new patch would not even match the old garment. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins, but no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. You know, we sometimes wonder what Jesus means by this as he talks about old and new cloth and old and new wineskins. I did a full paper on it when I was a student in seminary, so we could dig very deeply theologically into this this morning. But at the same time, it's very simple. Jesus had come as a new Messiah. It was a new time. He had come to establish a new covenant between God and his people. Would they accept God, accept Jesus, rather, as God's promised Messiah? Because if they did, it was going to mean a complete change for them. We can't begin to imagine going from the Jewish religion, all the laws, the way they worshipped, and Jesus is now there fulfilling the scripture, but at the same time a new covenant. Some were ready, but some resisted. I hope you'll take this home and read chapter 5 from Luke's Gospel today or later on in the week. But there were people like Levi who were ready. He was later on called Matthew. 
And in the verses preceding this morning's scripture, Luke tells us how Jesus just calls Levi, who was a, a hated tax collector, calls him to follow him and be his disciple. And Levi says, yes. And life was never the same for him again. And to Levi and others, the change that Jesus brought to their lives, the new wineskins, the acceptance, the freedom, the inclusiveness, a fresh new understanding of God, it was wonderful. They were ready. They received it. But some resisted. And again in the verses preceding this scripture, we read how religious leaders and the Pharisees just complained bitterly. And we read how the Pharisees and others just showed up wherever Jesus went, and they criticized and they complained, and they tried to discredit whatever Jesus was saying because he was a threat to them. So no new wineskins for them, thank you very much. No change for them. No Jesus for them. So looking at the illustration that Jesus uses, no one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment. No one uses it to patch an old garment. No one puts new wine into our wineskins. Today we live in a world where we have fabrics that have been pre-shrunk. The Jewish people did not have that. So when they would take a piece of cloth, not pre-shrunk, and put it onto a garment, when that garment was washed, the patch would shrink, the tear would get larger, and the patch and the garment would be ruined. And today, of course, we have glass and plastic bottles that we use as containers for our liquids. But in Jesus' day, the wine and the liquids were frequently kept in wineskins, and those were goat skins that were sewn together at the edges to form watertight bags. Because the new wine expands as it ages, it had to go into pliable wineskins. If new wine was poured into old, rigid, dry, brittle skins, the pressure of fermentation would just break the skin and the wine would be lost. Jesus the Messiah had come. Accepting him meant change, real change, new cloth, new wineskins, life change, a transformation of individual lives and religion. When Jesus gave this illustration, this teaching lesson, some 2,000 years ago, he wanted people to believe in him. But his work in people's lives did not end 2,000 years ago. He's still alive. He's still working in lives today, and he's still calling people to believe in him. So I'd like to take just a moment to talk about receiving Christ into our lives, because we have baptisms coming up, and we've had them. Maybe some of you remember a one-time moment when you accepted Christ as Savior. For others, it was much more gradual. And many of you would remember when you were baptized in that wonderful event, but we realized that was just the beginning. I remember Dr. McRae, one of my professors, saying, when we talk to someone about accepting Christ into their lives, we need to tell them it's a lifetime commitment. It's a lifetime journey they're entering into. And Micah told me about Bruce Belair. He's at Rock Church in Sackville. And he says, when we accept Jesus into our lives, we are ruined for ordinary life. We're never going to be the same again. And I agree with that, but I hasten to add on to that statement that we are ruined for ordinary life, but we are ushered that moment into extraordinary life. So we would ask this morning, why would anybody not want it? But many people are still saying no, no to Jesus.
Many people say, no, there are too many things I have to give up. I don't want to live that lifestyle. Some are saying they don't want to get weird, like Christians are weird. And the pastor that I had visit me this week, a great witness here in the Truro area, and he said many people are looking at him and they're saying, Jesus, I don't want anything to do with Jesus because of Christians. I hope that takes us right to our knees this morning. People should see in us as Christians an abundant life that Jesus has promised, that we are changed, that there are new wineskins to replace the old. I had lunch recently with Randy Stanton. We talked about Norm going to Lebanon with Canadian Baptist Ministries, and Randy is a representative of CBM. And we talked about missions, and we talked about going out. But Randy said, how are we ever going to go out until we in our churches get it ourselves, that we get it before we try to tell others? He was saying there should be a joy and a peace in their lives and a unity in the way that we get along. And it's not easy. And being called to be a Christian is not for the faint of heart. And you know that I always preach to myself before I preach to you. So I can say this morning, I'm one of the first that's ready to worry and fret over things. I realize how often I react rather than respond. You take me somewhere, you're probably going to have to take me a second time to apologize. <laughs> but it, it doesn't mean that we put on this phony smile where we're happy, happy, happy all the time. But there needs to be something extraordinary that has happened as the foundation of our lives when we accept Jesus. That we know that even though we mess up, and we will, that we can still run to him, that he's there with his mercy and his grace. At that moment, at the end of day, the forgiveness is there for us, and he'll help us just keep on getting better at it. So we receive him, and the next step, we need to grow. We need to keep on growing. And I often relate it to being like a child who's gone off to school to grade primary. And we don't expect any child in grade primary to have the same knowledge that the student starting grade 7 is going to have. And we don't expect that child to stay in grade primary. We expect them to keep on learning. Accepting Jesus is easy. It's so easy a child can understand it. But there are library shelves on libraries all over this world that are filled with books that have been written about Jesus and about God and about our faith. And we still have theologians studying it and discovering new things even today. It's a lifetime of learning and standing in awe of a God who calls us to him. Hard to imagine, but it is our faith. So I want to bring in now Fergus and Lassie. Our Fergus and Lassie in the house. I see them coming. Fergus is Doug and Janice McLeod's dog. He was the only dog. He was the top dog. So we need to show Fergus a little bit of respect. But they also have, Doug also has Lassie here. And Lassie, I think, was just seven weeks old when uh, Lassie came into the household. So I've chatted with them about it. Doug did say to me this morning, he said, you're a woman with a lot of courage. And I said, there's a fine line between courage and stupidity, and I'm not sure, <laughs> not sure which one I've crossed here this morning. Doug, can you tell us what it was like for Fergus when this little puppy Lassie came into your household? Well, Fergus pretty much uh, rolled the roost. Is that on? Hello? We good? I know. 
Adolf. Yeah, so Fergus pretty much ruled the roost. Uh, when he was one, we became empty nesters. So for the last, he's 13 now, so for the last 12 years, he's had all our love and attention and spoiling and whatever. So, uh, yeah, he, uh, we did bring a cat home uh, several years ago. And after a while, they kind of sorted things out. So now we brought Lassie home. What was his reaction? His reaction was that, uh, well, Border Collies are basically dogs that are bred to herd and protect, and he was pretty much into protecting us from her and uh, herding her and giving her a little corrective nip here and there as, as okay. required. But then I understand it started to change a little bit that Fergus took on a teaching role. Can you tell us about that? Well, yeah, it's, uh, it must be bred in them. I mean, Fergus has never been a parent, but he, he realized uh, somehow that uh, I guess he stuck with her and, and he, has, <laughs> he has a lot of information to impart to her and what have you. So, yeah, he started um, uh, working with her when we do training, like teaching her to sit and give paw and things like that. He sits and gives paw and demonstrates all the things. and. Uh, she's kind of like a new shadow for him. So he, he's really helped you in some of the training. Oh, look, uh, he's a great help with the training. Great. Yes, for so sure. So what about the other way around? Has it done anything to change or do anything for Fergus? Well, yeah, Fergus, uh, you know, he's kind of like me. We're a couple old dogs, and uh, <laughs> uh, we, we like to nap and sleep. And uh, But since, uh, since Lassie's come along, it seems like he has a, a new uh, spring in his step, and they play. Uh, he'll you know, like dogs do, he'll get down on the front with his rear up in the air, and you know they'll they'll do that kind of thing. And occasionally, because he has spine and hip issues, his rear end will give out, and he thunk he's down on the ground, but he gets right back up and plays with her. So uh, yeah, he's really doing a great job as a role model for her, and it's invigorated his life as well. He's gotten younger. Yeah. Thank you so much for playing along with me this morning so. on this. Thank you, Doug. Let's give them a hand. First, a lesson from Lassie, the puppy. You know, Lassie's going to make mistakes. Puppies chew. I got through two services. I didn't have to clean anything up up here, so that's good, but puppies do that. Lassie's going to need a lot of time and a lot of patience as she learns. Sadly, we mature Christians start putting unrealistic expectations on new Christians. And I find we do it to one another as well. Can we learn this morning the sheer joy that we can all have as we mature together in this lifetime journey, as we walk alongside each other, as we pray together, as we teach and learn, because that's always a two-way teaching and learning, and coming alive and keeping our faith alive together. And to stay with that for just a moment, and remember I'm not calling anyone an old dog here this morning, but many of us have been Christians for a long, long time. And if we were totally, totally honest, do we sometimes get to that point where we think we deserve to be spoiled? We deserve to be top dog? We deserve to have things the way we want them at the church? Do we sometimes become dry, brittle wineskins and stiff and sore and tired and temperamental? It's like, don't come near my food or water bowl or I'll growl at you. 
I've asked my friends and family to keep an eye on me. There are two things I do not want as I get old. First of all, I do not want to become cranky and cantankerous. A woman that I worked with years ago, a new years ago rather, and she was working at a senior's residence, and she said, Thelma, there's no such thing as a sweet little old lady. <laughs> so that day I said, and I said to my family, don't let me become a bitter little old lady. May it be our prayer as Christians as well that we not become sour, bitter, cantankerous Christians baptized in pickle juice. <laughs> But I had a picture at my desk uh, in the church where I was before, and I need to get it out again. And it's a picture of a woman just dressed in an outlandish purple outfit, and she's just on the go. You can see she's in movement. And it says, when I get old, they will not be saying about me, what a sweet little old lady. They will be saying, what is she up to now? <laughs> and as Christians, let's stay open and fresh to that. Not what we're going to be up to but what the Holy Spirit wants to be up to in our lives, to set us free and work in and through us. And back to Fergus and Lassie, we need to remember, Doug and Janice will never expect Lassie to be another Fergus. Lassie will grow up to be Lassie with her own personality. Fergus is loved for being Fergus. Lassie loved for being Lassie. Jesus does not expect you or me to be like any other Christian. Jesus does not make cookie-cutter Christians. He loves us as individuals. He created us with diverse and unique personalities, but it's us who try to squeeze people into a mold of our own expectations, and that's not for us to do. Each one of us is wonderful, but really, one of each of us is enough. So Fergus and Lassie in the McLeod household can teach us, have taught us, something around this lesson of the new wineskins, changes, transformations, lessons about being both new Christians and mature Christians in the household of God together. I want to take a moment to just talk about Jesus' illustration about the cloth. Jesus said you can't take a piece of new cloth and use it as a patch to put on an old garment. Can you imagine taking a brand new garment and Jesus said actually tearing a piece off of that and then putting it onto a new one. Both are going to be completely ruined. Neither is going to be a pretty sight. But some of us try to do exactly that with our faith. We take just some of what we learn here on a Sunday morning in a Bible study and we say, that will be enough. That's all I need. It's enough to make me look good and sound good, but I don't really want it to affect my life and the way that I live the rest of the week. So we try to put on religion like a piece of new cloth, like a, pat, a patch onto our old lifestyle. And I say we're putting on religion because it's not the relationship that Jesus wants to have with us. And it's not a pretty sight in a garment, and it's not a pretty sight when we do it in our lives. And it doesn't work for three reasons that I came up with. I'm sure you could come up with a lot more. Number one, when we do not walk the talk, we lose all credibility. We don't impress anyone. We don't fool anyone. People won't trust us. They see us and hear us saying one thing and living something totally different. So they're not going to believe anything that we say about our faith. And really, they're not going to believe a whole lot about what we say about anything else that we believe in. And number two, God's not able to trust us either. And that's a heartbreaking statement. 
that God would not be able to trust us when we are going out there saying that we are followers of Jesus Christ. Paul faced it. He prayed about it. He said, as I preach, may I never be disqualified. How many of us, by the way we live in comparison to the way we talk about Christianity, are breaking God's heart, breaking the relationship with him, insulting him, and more than that, his love, rejecting the love that he has for us. And number three, we're being untrue to ourselves when we do that because we're missing out on the amazing truth and love and joy that we can have in our own lives. We're missing out. Last week, some of you were here when Murray Dawson was baptized. He gave Mike and I permission to share this. He came into my office and he talked about having believed in Jesus for years, but he hadn't been able to give Jesus his life. How many of us are like that, in denial, fooling ourselves maybe, but not fooling God, not fooling others? What a joy it was to hear Murray say that and then to see him baptized last Sunday. And we must remember in all of this, we can only do it through the help of the Holy Spirit. This is not self-discipline. This is not willpower. This is not behavioral modification. It has to be the work of the Holy Spirit working in us. When I mentioned I'm on thin ice, the wineskins, the new wine, talking about an older dog, talking about genuine change this morning, more change that I'm going to continue with. You have called me as a transitional pastor here, and we are facing the fact very openly that there are issues in Emmanuel, there are conflict issues here, there are people who have been deeply wounded, those wounds have not been allowed to heal. And we're working on that. And we're seeing God at work in that. But conflict comes, does it not, from trying to get what we want at the expense of what somebody else might want. Conflict comes from wanting control and power. Conflict comes from trying to force people to think like we think and speak and act like we want them to speak and act. I think many of us this morning are agreeing here at Emmanuel. Some of those things need to change. So this morning, the stand on which I placed my Bible is a visual for us for change at Emmanuel, for new wineskins here. Some of you have seen me struggle with where to put my Bible on Sunday mornings. When I'm teaching from God's Word, I like to have it open beside me because I'm not preaching any of my truth. I'm trying to teach God's truth. So I like to open the Bible and have it stay open. But different times I would get up here and I'd realize, oh, I've only just got the music stand. Where do I put my Bible? So you've seen me very awkward trying to put it down on the communion table, pick it back up again. I was going to bring out from the choir room a plexiglass pulpit that's transparent. I like that perception, nothing hidden. But it's a plexiglass pulpit that has room to put the Bible on it as well. I'm not going to be bringing out that pulpit. I need to openly say this morning, why not? If I bring it out and I start to use it, there will be some here who will say, she's brought out a pulpit. She's bringing things back. We win. And there will be others who would sit there and think, she's bringing out a pulpit. She's bringing things back. We lose. So that plexiglass pulpit is going to stay in the choir room. 
I had purchased this podium at a yard sale in Wolfville, never dreaming I'd be bringing it in this morning. But I bring it to this platform now, and I'm going to leave it here week after week as a reminder for us, we do not win, we do not lose. We are not to be winners or losers as children of God. We are not to be winners or losers of people of this church. We are his church. We are the bride of Jesus Christ. No winners or losers in our midst. So I'll be using it each week to remind us of a desire, of a need to change, to, to change our desires of winning and losing over things like a pulpit, over things like the cloth on the organ, or the curtain at the back, over our constitution and bylaws, over the worship songs, whether or not we have a choir, whether or not we're singing traditional hymns, I'm going to be using it every week to remind us that we are not to be scoring points for our side. I'll be using it every week to help us shape a culture. And I ask that you pray into those words, shape a culture of unity, of working together, that's going to bring glory to our God, not dishonor to his name. But it will mean some new wineskins. It's going to mean change of heart. It's going to mean life transformations. But I believe we're ready for that. And I'm already seeing God do it. So where have we gone this morning? We are meant to be ruined for ordinary life, but we are called to extraordinary life in Jesus. We will grow. We will make mistakes. We cannot just take a patch of piece of Christianity and try to put it on our everyday lives. We have to be genuine in our faith. Let's not become brittle, bitter Christians. And there are no winners or losers. Let's champion each other and shape a new culture together. Because Jesus will not be contained in any denomination or tradition or structure. Jesus will not be contained in any church program or ministry. Jesus will not be contained in any method or plan. He will not be contained in any age or any generation. He loves to surprise us. He loves to stretch us. He loves to move us forward. New wineskins, today as much as 2,000 years ago, when he first talked to them about this. A fresh touch, a new work of the Holy Spirit. We are having baptisms here Tuesday night. I don't know if this has touched anyone's heart this morning. If it has and you haven't received the Lord, come talk to me. Love to talk to you about that. Or maybe this morning you're realizing just a transformation is needed. Maybe you want to do a different work in moving forward in the transitional season of Emmanuel. You want to change an attitude? I don't know what the Holy Spirit has done. But let's just pray into it as we close. Holy Spirit, you know what you've done in hearts here this morning. You just long for relationship with us that's beautiful and real and pure and filled with joy. Draw us to that. Thank you for this transitional season. You are already doing a great thing. So keep working in us that this will grow and that, Lord, you will be glorified in ways that we can't even think or imagine right now. We pray these things in Jesus' name.